Welcome to the Fod Eater Fod Pass. <laughs> hey everybody, it's Froth here, Thought Eater Podcast and Blog. Thanks for listening. I hope you're doing well. Uh yeah, so top three Tuesday. Here we come. Um got some cool topics lined up from uh legendary anchorites calling in and um and then I had a several call in comments on uh, previous episodes. So we're going to get to the call-ins and stuff first on uh, their kind of just general comments on the last couple topics. And then we'll get to the, uh, you know, the meat of the episode, so to speak, with the top threes. Uh, one of these is from uh, legendary anchorite Ray Otis from Plundergrounds, who um, mentions in one of the calls that I'd, whatever, not to put it on the air or something. So I I had to, to track Ray down, like, you know, in the Bahamas, you know, sipping on a martini or something, you know, um, snorkeling, you know, caught him in a cave, um, hell tracking him down. <laughs> uh, you know, he's living the life, but, uh, anyway, he, he said it was cool for me to put him up. So Ray's calls from a couple weeks, about a couple weeks ago's topic, uh, the guitarist, but I still thought it was, uh, good stuff. So I wanted to, to put it in there. So we got some call-ins from, uh, Mr. Ray Otis, uh, Tim shorts and Jeff Collier coming your way right now. I'm just about to listen to your top three guitarists before you name them. I'm going to say Stevie Ray Vaughn, Jimi Hendrix, Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> probably won't be the same three you name, but I'm having fun kind of guessing. Uh, those would probably be off the top of my head, my top three. Don't put this on the air. I'm just kind of throwing this in. Dirty deeds and the done dirt cheap. Great choices, man. Great choices. <laughs> I want to listen to records with you. You definitely go deeper than I do. But uh, a lot of your touch points are similar to mine. And who the hell doesn't like the Smiths? Point them out and I'm going to fight them. Uh, I mean, what the hell? Come on. That's great stuff. When you said girlfriend in the coma, the opening lick immediately came into my head. I could hear it, you know, like it was on the record next to me. So uh, cool choices. I like the way you grounded them in your favorite music and not just isolating out, you know, the guitar player. Um, you know, like Stevie Ray, when I named my three, Stevie Ray Vaughan and uh, um, Eddie Van Halen and uh, Jimi Hendrix. I'm really kind of thinking about them as guitar players. Those aren't, uh, those are all bands that I like, but I, they aren't necessarily my favorite bands, but yeah, good stuff, man. I enjoyed that a lot. Hey, Jeremy, Tim Shorts of Gothridge Manor. I just listened to your top three ones each. Uh, you haven't played yet and Mutant Epoch. I'm with you on that one. That one's really cool. I haven't gotten a lot of the supplements. I have the core rule book. And, of course, his artwork's great. He does all his artwork, and I think his artwork is probably the most used in game supplements right up there with uh, uh, the Iron Forge there. So, yeah, good choice with that one. I, I'd be interested in trying that one, too. I didn't get that much, you know, get into the rules that much yet because uh, I'm. <laughs> it's, it's hard for me to understand rules without playing them sometimes and that's one i'd have to sit down with a couple guys and we just kind of throw some dice and figure it out so good choice hey froth it's jeff from the tome of all dooms i was listening to your top three games that you have that you haven't played and i was wondering if you'd ever taken a look at the savage world setting rippers because it sounds like it's right up your alley it's alt history it's got monsters classic monsters horror all kinds of good stuff in there so, just wondering. Gentlemen, thanks for the call-ins. Uh, again, uh, Ray Otis from Plundergrounds, Tim Shorts from Gothridge Manor, and Jeff Collier from Tome of All Dooms. So, uh, yeah, Ray, uh, even just the second you were like, dirty deeds. And if that comes on the radio, man, that takes me out of my life for three minutes, you know? That, da 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 It's just... Everything washes away, the volume goes up, and it's, uh, you know, high voltage. Um, so, and absolutely, that beginning of uh, Girlfriend in a Coma, that, um, 
it's just special. And, uh, that, that, like I say, hearing that hooked me, um, hooked me on that, that ski trip and, um, gave me a lifelong love for the Smiths. So, um, but yeah, as far as Stevie Ray Vaughan goes, uh, talk about a talent, uh, lost too soon. Um, you know, was starting to be used as a big time session musician, you know, for, for Bowie. And, uh, I, I get a f- the feeling, um, he would have been on, you know, all kinds of stuff, you know, just, uh, he's already iconic and, uh, but, um, there's some wild, I have a, a good friend of mine that I played music with for, for years and years and years, um, learned to play guitar from his father, uh, prior to his father passing away from cancer. And his father was a, a big, big blues fan. So he had, uh, all this kind of stuff, but also had a lot of like Cream and Hendrix and uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan and and a, and a bunch of that kind of stuff. And would um, as we were kind of learning to play as a band, and he showed us how to play like uh, uh, Jumpin' Jack Flash and uh, uh, you know some stuff like that. And he would do all these tricks, you know, playing the guitar behind his head and using the a mic stand as a slide and. Um, so listen to a lot of Stevie Ray Vaughan with him and uh, incredible, but, uh, there's a lot of interesting stories about Stevie Ray Vaughan, you know, it was, you know, alcoholic, uh, cocaine, you know, he'd, he'd, uh, wake up to sometimes to a little cocaine and, and, uh, and, uh, whiskey and, um, you know, those aren't exaggerated stories either. So, um, a lot of people have a lot of pain in their lives, you know, and, um, uh, but anyway, uh, incredible talent gone too soon. And obviously, um, uh, the others, um, Hendrix and Van Halen, uh, what can you say? <laughs> uh, it seems like, um, man, it just brings back memories thinking about Eddie Van Halen, uh, for a while. That was just like the when that 1984 album in particular came out, that was the ish in my neighborhood. And, uh, so yeah, from Tim shorts from Gosford's Manor, they were talking more about mutant epoch. That's a game that I own that I haven't played that I really want to. And yeah, it is awesome. And, uh, William McCausland's art is incredible. What a skill to be able to write and illustrate your own books. God, how jealous is everyone out there about that? Um, but, uh, the, yeah, as far as the rules go, the base is simple, but like I said, there's, there's, you know, there's tons of, uh, character options and it's the kind of thing that no GM is going to have it all in their head. You just have to see what people pick or roll randomly and then learn what they've got because trying to have a, <laughs> um, I don't, I don't know if, uh, if William has all of the little exceptions and doodads and stuff in his head. I, I don't know how it's possible, but uh really cool game. That's one I, I got to get to at some point. Um, and then uh, as far as uh, Jeff calling in about Rippers, you know, I do own the first Rippers. They, they came out with that Rippers Resurrected. I don't have that. I bought the whatever Rippers Core Savage World book used, and I've got to be completely honest with you. <laughs> it went basically straight on the shelf, and I haven't even dug into it, so... It seemed like something I'd be interested in. It sounds, you know, and uh, I'm sure it is, but I, um, I need to take a second look at it. Um, but I think it'll be on the back burner as far as Savage Worlds go. I've really fixated on East Texas University. But, yeah, you know, that's thanks for pointing that out because it's something that's up my alley, right in front of me, literally sitting on my shelf that I haven't even taken a look at. So that should tell you all you need to know about uh, my RPG collection, you know, I, I, sometimes I'll just, I know that there's like the, it's like either a German or a Japanese word for buying books and not reading them. I've got that, you know, I've got that bad. Um, I read a lot, but it's, I just buy too much stuff. Um, but anyway, appreciate the call in y'all. Let's get to some of today's topics. Hi, Arfed here. Um, just been listening to your top three, the last one and uh got a top three for you i'd like to know what your top three superheroes are 
Now, uh, you can either do a list for DC and one for Marvel, or combine the two, up to you. But um, I had the Marvel superhero game, didn't play it much, really enjoyed the system, but found it hard to sort of balance it or make it a challenge for the superheroes or not make it too hard for the superheroes it needed a really good GM and when I had it I was uh, quite young and uh, didn't really manage to do it justice but would like to try it again another time but yeah if you could give me your top three would love it keep up the good work all right so you just heard from RFED there um, RFED actually stands for rocks fall everyone dies which has got to be the raddest nickname of all time. And yes, I said raddest. still say rad. Um, I, I say that as a public service announcement because for a while I had no idea what RFED meant. And uh, I don't want you to be like Froth. I want you to know right from the get-go. Rocks fall, everyone dies. But before I get to the, um, you know, thanks for the question. Before I get to that, I want to comment on what you said about the Marvel superheroes game. Cause there's a lot of wisdom there. Anybody out there thinking about running it, listen to old RFED. Um, cause uh, uh, I've been reminded pretty quickly of what he's talking about. Um, the, the power level can get away from you real fast. And, um, it's one thing if a superhero has amazing fighting ability, it's another entirely. If you've got like my wife's character, the kimono dragon, she's got you know, inc like incredible phasing, you know, so you can just forget about bullets or anything hurting her. If she's phasing, they just, all that just goes straight through her. You got to like hit her with Captain America's shield or something. And she's also got mind control. So, uh, there are some little limitations on that in the uh, advanced rules that I'm using, but for the most part, uh, you know, I, I think the key is you know, from the beginning, coming up with weaknesses or vulnerabilities, you know, like a, uh, what's this called? Uh, um, like super, like kryptonite, you know what I mean? Some kind of, um, some kind of weakness for the superheroes. And then just, uh, kind of deciding what power level you're going to use. Cause, uh, like I mentioned before, when I was talking about it. The, the fun thing is is making your own superhero. To me, at least. Um, I mean, certainly playing a, a superhero you love would be cool. But um, and the way the games were set up, it was kind of like random creation, which is is one thing in uh, D and D or uh, Warhammer fantasy. But um, I don't like random creation for superheroes. The fun is kind of making up your own thing. So. I use this, uh, I've mentioned this already, I'm kind of repeating myself, but this polyhedron article with great power that has this like point by sort of system for Marvel superheroes. And you got to kind of set your level there, you know, use wisely where you're going to set your, um, your power level if you're using something like that. I didn't mind having our characters because it's, it's just two of them with a like NPC. So if you're going to have a smaller group, it's one thing, but if you're going to have like a large group of superheroes, yeah, I, I would try to keep it street level or something like that. Just, and maybe always have a vulnerability or weakness because, um, it, it does take a, a creative GM to, to challenge, um, superheroes, especially based on their abilities. So that that's, was really well stated. I wanted to make sure I emphasize that. So as far as, uh, my favorite superheroes go, uh, man, this gave me a real trip down memory lane because, um, I don't really read comics like at all anymore. Uh, the last couple of things I read was just like rereading the Watchmen and, um, Dark Knight Returns. So, um, it's not that I don't like them or anything. It's just something I'm not into. But, um, when I was younger, you know, I read a bunch and, and collected some and, and everything. So when I'm thinking about this, I'm really, it's taken me back to, the way I felt, you know, what I really liked as a kid and, 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 and that kind of thing more than, uh, I'm not like an avid collector now or, or anything. In fact, my knowledge kind of, aside from like the comic book movies, my knowledge of, of the storylines or anything like that, um, uh, really kind of stopped in like that, the mid to kind of late eighties. Um, so that's actually uh, my, 
my game. I'm, I'm running it in the eighties, you know, because, uh, I don't know. It's what I'm most familiar with. And I like that kind of technology, the technological limitations, um, from the eighties. So that all said, what came up with number three, you know, I watched every Sunday. It was must see viewing. And at my house, I'm going with the incredible Hulk. Um, I never really got into the comics. I can't even remember if I, you know, maybe read some comics where the Hulk was in it or whatever. But for me, it was all about that TV show. Um, the music, that emotional music. And I liked that um, Banner was always... The, the thing I really liked about it is that he didn't want to be a superhero. You know, he didn't want to be the Hulk. Every He was on the run because of it, and he was trying to find a way not to be the Hulk anymore. And, um, I thought that, that just, it's almost like being a superhero, being the Hulk was like a disease or, or, or something, even though the Hulk would, uh, you know, save the day or help people out. And it was, you know, even when I was young watching it, you know, there was that loneliness of being on the road and, uh, and all that. Um, so were it not for that old TV show, I'm not sure if I would, would put uh, the Hulk there, but um, that TV show is like I said. I, I'm almost po yeah. It had to have been Sunday nights. There was, uh, you know, it was Ripley's Believe It or Not, and and the Hulk I believe was. Those were the two like Sunday night shows, and oh my God, I loved Ripley's Believe It or Not too. Uh, Jack Palance, Believe It or Not, so. Um, number three, I'm going with the Hulk just sheerly based on nostalgia almost more than anything. I love that old show. I remember when Mr. Rogers had, uh, had them come on there, Lou Ferrigno. And I guess it was like Bill Bixby, uh, that played, uh, Bruce Banner and did the whole, uh, Hulk show. I'll never forget that. Uh, <laughs> how great was Mr. Rogers, by the way. So number three, incredible Hulk. So number two, I don't see how I can get away with it, uh, away from it. I'm going with Batman. Now, the the most recent Batman first. Okay, so the Ben Affleck, all those those are man. I want to like those movies, but they're so bad. The pacing is bad. They're, I don't know how they made Justice League as bad as it was. I mean, you can have your own opinion. That's totally fine. I watched it with a wife. We thought it was terrible. Um. The, um, so it's not even a Ben Affleck thing. It's just the whole way Batman is in the new movies. It's just, it's bad. Um, but even then the, the Christian Bale ones, I didn't think were all that great. Now I thought Heath Ledger was awesome as the Joker, but I didn't think those, those movies just felt really long and I don't know. I just didn't enjoy them that much. My favorite of the movies was just those original two, Tim Burton, you know, with the, with Jack Nicholson as the Joker and then the Danny DeVito as the Penguin. Um, cause I like a little campy, you know, fun to it. So I liked like the old Batman show. Um, but also I have to say my favorite as far as like the comics go, like I, I, I've mentioned before I'm into like history and stuff, so I've, I've read a lot of old like detective comics, like with the Batman origin story and all that, and I love those. I love the artwork in them. I love the storylines, um, and and I love how that was presented. So I, I do really like those original Batman comics. But then I love the Dark Knight Returns graphic novel. Um, I guess that's Frank Miller. I should have had it in front of me, but um, it, that one really blew my mind when I was younger because I'd never read a comic book like that where it was, uh, um, kind of grimy and ultra violent and, um, had a sick sense of humor to it. Um, there's one point where Joker or somebody calls someone a milk baby. And, uh, I still use that as a joking insult, milk baby. Um, but, uh, that's the one where, you know, they tried to do it pieces of it into recent uh, uh, recent DC movies, but it's the one where Batman fights Superman, and um, it, it was just really good. They have a, you know, they make, uh, you know, Bruce Wayne is a lot older, he's like aging, and 
Um, I kind of hung up the bat suit and, um, if you've never read Dark Knight Returns, it's great. Great take on Batman. But I think the thing I mainly like about it, um, other than it being just, you know, just permeating pop culture is, um, having all these gadgets and doodads and not really being a superhero, not being, you know, superhuman, you know, being a great athlete and everything, but having all these cool technology and, and, uh, you know, utility belts and all that. And I was trying to think of why I love that so much. And I think part of it is because I was like reared on James Bond movies. My dad loved James Bond and showed me all those. So I saw, you know, Goldfinger and Thunderball and all that stuff when I was really young. And uh, Spy, Spy Who Loved Me. I saw uh, For Your Eyes Only in the theater. I'll never forget that. It's great. And um, so I love the whole idea of gadgets and, and, and stuff like that. Uh, more so than I like being a mutant or, or anything. I think I mentioned that before. So, but anyway, I, I, uh, I have to put Batman in there, even though a lot of the representations of Batman, I'm not a fan of, but I certainly like those, uh, Tim Burton movies, dark, dark Knight returns, uh, comic, uh, the old campy Adam West, Batman stuff. Um, and then just the original detective comics and the whole idea of, uh, the origin story and um, and just utilizing technology and trickery and, and things like that as opposed to superhuman skills. So uh, I got to go with Batman number two. Number one, this was the one that I was the most into as far as comic book collecting. I had a ton of them. I don't know what happened to them. I don't know what happened to them. My mom wouldn't have thrown them away, but she might have damn well given them away. A lot of stuff that I had... I it's so funny. You don't think about what's going to be worth anything when you're younger. And I had a lot of cool stuff that I wish I'd kept. But when I went away to college and was getting into my high school years and then went away to college, a lot of the stuff my mom just got rid of and I didn't even try to stop it. I didn't think about it. So that's probably what happened to the comics. Um, but anyway, the one that I really liked was the Punisher. That was my favorite. And, um, I think just because it was an anti-hero and just different than the other um, superheroes, used guns, and I lo love the storylines, and obviously the, the, the look with a big skull and everything uh, appealed to me. Now, those shows are freaking great, too. The Netflix Punisher shows, oh my god, those are great shows. Um, I love all those Netflix Marvel shows, to be honest with you, but uh, I... Uh, you know, there were a couple of stinker movies made from The Punisher. And it's not like I'm into The Punisher or whatever, but when I was younger, the, everybody kind of gravitated to their own um, comic book that was like their hero that they liked to collect. Like my brother really liked Moon Knight. I have no idea why, but my brother had a bunch of Moon Knight comics. And I, uh, I just liked The Punisher. And um, I liked the violence, I guess. <laughs> I like the extreme violent anti-hero that, you know, hurt people. And, uh, but seriously, uh, uh, that's the one when I think about just truly comic based, um, when you don't even think about the, the, the movie tie-ins or any of that other stuff, when I think just about the comics, that was the one that I always loved the most and collected the most of. So I'll put the Punisher number one there for old time's sake. All right. Thank you, Arfed, for the call in. I appreciate it. And now, a word from our sponsors. Hi Froth, it's Goblin Centurion here. Um, really enjoying what you're doing at the moment with your top three. It's really interesting to hear your particular take on, on those topics. Um, got a couple of suggestions for you if you want, want to go with them. If, uh, if you don't, I won't be offended. Um, so how about um, top three bits of RPG artwork? The sort of thing you saw on the front of a, a module and you thought, wow, I've got to buy that module just based on that, that image alone. And what about top three underrated low-level spells? You know, the sort of thing, you know, using light spells to blind people or that sort of thing. And how about top three monster combinations? So, you know, where you take monster A and monster B and they really work well together as a, as a sort of synergy or, or in an unusual fashion. That's it, basically. Thanks very much. Uh, keep up the good work. Cheerio. Bye.
All right, you just heard from Goblin's Henchman there. Um, thanks for the call-ins. Uh, you gave me a bunch of good ones there, but uh, I, I, I thought I'd keep going with like the, the artwork. Uh, that came up with one from uh, Ray Otis from Plundergrounds recently. And uh, when you're talking about cover art for modules. But I wanted to whittle it down a little bit since it's so broad. So I thought about my favorite TSR box set cover art as opposed to just modules in general. So um, taking inspiration here from Goblin's Henchman. Uh, but I want to do my favorite TSR box set cover art. So I uh, went back through the collection and then uh, also kind of looked at some online scans of covers from different things and everything and uh, thought about it. And uh, number three, I'm going with from Raven, the Ravenloft uh, setting. There's an, a box set adventure called Bleak House for Ravenloft. Now, I haven't played, you know, haven't ran Bleak House, but I love the cover. It's one of these gothic horror type deals. And, you know, something I thought about, with, talking about images is a lot about talk, like talking about maps on the hump day thing. So there's a, for the companion blog post for this, I put up the cover art of the, the three I'm picking here so folks can look at it. But, um, so anyway, rather than me just describing it, you can also look at it, but it's this great cover that kind of, uh, in a way, uh, echoes back to the, uh, awesome temple of elemental evil module cover, you know, cause you're, you're kind of looking through this arched gateway at, uh, you know, past a, a, um, a haunted graveyard, at a mansion and there's like a light on in the attic and it's just a silhouette of a figure there. And, um, it, it's just, a I I love that kind of Gothic horror and, uh, you know, classic monster movie type thing. And this really evokes that. So I, this is a, when you talk about something that you look at that really makes you want to get it or makes you want to run it. I've had Bleak House on my Amazon wish list for a while, and I should have pulled the trigger when it was at like 50 bucks. But I think now for a lot of us collectors, with this popular D, uh, 5e is, uh, it's it's going to make it a lot harder. There are so many things that I should have bought, you know, 12 years ago. Should have just gone ahead and bought Planescape. I should have just gone to, you know, Spelljammer. Because now the prices, you got to be really patient and everything to find decent prices. Because, uh, um, especially if you're just wanting to collect it for fun and you're not really going to get all that money's worth out of running it. But so Bleak House was like 50 and now I'm seeing them closer to a hundred, which I, you know, I, I, I don't know it's not, it's not uh, worth it to me. I've got other stuff I want more, but anyway, the cover was by Dana Knutson and I'm not super familiar. It looks like the, I don't, I don't even know if that's a, a male or, or, or female or what. And, uh, but their their artwork, I think, is kind of in that late second edition era. But I can't really speak to Dana Nutson's work because I, I know next to nothing about them. Um, but it's great. And so I love that bleak house, gothic horror, uh, Ravenloft feel of that. It, like I said, it reminds me of Temple of Elemental Evil. I think it's an awesome cover. I just love it. So that's what I'm putting in number three. Number two, one of the legends, Jeff Easley. Now I own this box set and I have it un you know unpunched even has the minis in it but I've never ran it the battle first edition battle system box set the cover art of that holy crap you've got like a a dwarf with a, a wearing some kind of wolf skin riding a triceratops into or is it a stegosaurus one of the, triceratops I guess riding a triceratops into battle with it chewing on one of the you know, chewing on an enemy and the whole cover is just like anarchy, badass. I mean, that is just the sickest cover. One of the sickest covers ever, even though I'm, you know, I want to try battle system. I just haven't had anyone to play with. It seems like it's going to be a little bit beyond my, my daughter. And, um, it's one, you need a lot of room to set up and it's just something that, uh, I haven't gotten a chance to play. You know, I want to run it with a box and I don't want to try to mess around with trying to make up online battle system, uh, but say what you want about the system. I've heard, you know, mixed reviews. Um, I love the idea that they, they were trying to have a, a mass combat system that they could utilize in, in a lot of the modules and stuff though. I think it was very ambitious and, and a great idea. Can't speak to the system since I haven't played it, but my God, if you look at that battle system cover and, uh, 
Easley was a just an awesome artist. I love Jeff Easley. I love Clyde Caldwell. Those are two of the kind of unsung TSR artists. But um, what a cover! I mean, that just makes you want to, you know, put on a wolfskin and ride a triceratops into battle. So. My number two cover art, it's got to be that badass battle system cover. And number one, this one, I heard your 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 question, uh, Henchman. I, this immediately popped my mind, whether I was just going to be doing regular modules or any product or whatever. This was one that just always struck me and uh, made me collect all the products for the line and everything. But I'm going with that um, uh, Hollow World box set. Now, this is by Fred Fields, and it's this image of, like, a priestess or maybe an oracle or something with, like, kind of the hollowed-out world around them. And it, I just looked at that. I was like, oh, man. That, you know, when I first saw that, I was like, oh, I want to get that, you know, just based on the image. I love it. It's iconic. I I, I think it's um, it – maybe, maybe I shouldn't say iconic. I, I don't think the setting ever – got very popular at all and I was able to find all the product stuff in shrink uh relatively cheap so it was not like it set the world on fire but for me it's iconic for me it's an image where I just saw it immediately wanted it um even though I have some issues with the setting particularly like the origins of the 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 different cultures and everything I, I didn't like that but <clears throat> the whole idea of it and everything <clears throat> I like a lot and that image is just like whoa I think for a cover image that's just a whoa image when you look at it so I've been thinking about this for you know a couple weeks or whatever since I got your call um I contemplated doing module covers but there are just so many and then I thought about well maybe box sets will help me whittle it down a little bit better so I love that bleak house cover I love that battle system cover and that hollow um hollow world cover those are my top three TSR box set covers of all time. Hey, Jeremy, J.E. Shields. I'd be interested to hear what your top three favorite RPG characters that you have played. Tell us about them. Okay, so that was uh, J.E. Shields there from the Graze a Grazing Mace podcast here on Anchor. Uh, J.E. has come through with several suggestions for me, and I appreciate that. Um, I, I love working off other people's ideas for uh, for top threes. It helps me tremendously, so uh, keep them coming, not just to you, but to anybody. But um, as far as this one goes, my top three PCs that I've played, I'm, I hope I'm not going to uh, disappoint anybody with my answers, because the fact of the matter is, I'm like the perma-DM almost. I can say with certainty that over 90% of the gaming I've done, I've been the one running the game. Uh, it might even be like 95%. I rarely get to play. Um, part of that is because I was kind of the one that really got back into gaming hardcore of any of my friends and everything. So I was kind of dragging them along to play. And then also I was finding it difficult, you know, to, to play the games that I really wanted to play. And so, you know how you can always find a game? You run it yourself. You'll never be short of players. You'll always be short of GMs, but never short of players. So even a lot of the games I've gotten to play has been, you know, one shots and, and things like that when it, when my regular game's not playing and I'm looking to you know hop on something. So it's not like I've been in a lot of long-term campaigns as a player where I've gotten, you know, to really develop this great character and all that, you know. So I'm, I'm working, what I'm saying is I'm working off of a, a limited stable of characters and, um, that's just the way it is. I'd love to, I've mentioned this before about games I wish I'd gotten to play and everything. I would love to get into some of these older obscure games and be able to make my own character and play these long-term campaigns, but it just hasn't happened and I don't know if it ever will. Um, it seems like I said that to, to play all these games, I'm the one that has to run them. So there's a lot of learning the rules and prep that otherwise wouldn't necessarily go into it if I had a skilled GM. But that said, I still do have, uh, some characters I really like, um, um, you know, if I was talking about NPCs that I, I've, I've played, maybe I'd, you know, in games, I'd maybe have 
uh, more to, to draw on, but uh, I have some that come to mind. I had like this feral halfling named Kiki that kind of had lived in the sewers in this town, and and um, Kiki was almost like a, a animal and um, very distrusting of others. But if if someone showed showed them love, you know, like uh, you know, Kiki would 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 fall in love with them, almost like Kiki was like a a pet or an animal rather than a halfling. That's not making my top three. I've just mentioned old Kiki. Um, also, um, have a five E character, a, a, a fighter, like pirate style, uh, you know, sailor background, named Redbeard. Uh, that I really you know, just played up the stereotypical, almost cartoon-like pirate aspects, you know, like, ah, shivvy me timbers and and stuff like that. So I did like Redbeard. That didn't make my top three either, but, um, so, all right. So for my top three, this one's kind of weird. All right. This one might not appeal to almost anyone. It might be actually just like opposite of what's appealing, but this one's uh, it came to my mind because it was a it was a fun campaign. This was back in the fourth edition D and D days, and uh, you may or may not be aware, but there was a lot of character optimization and stuff in four E. It was a lot of system mastery, similar to three X, where you know you're able to pick your own, you know, buy your own magic items, you know, and there's also tons and tons of character options, way more than what you've got in fifth edition, certainly any of the prior editions other than three X, three X and four E are very similar, very, very similar when you really take a critical objective eye to it. And, um, both of them pathfinder included in this have that kind of uh, character optimization thing going on to, to a much larger extent than other additions. And now as far as min maxing and all that goes, if you, if you're running a game and everyone's playing your basic characters, and then you've got one min maxer at the table, breaking the game, that really sucks. You know, I hate that. But we, one of, uh, my friends back then, uh, online friend, uh, decided to run a higher level fourth edition game, uh, campaign, kind of a mini campaign. We played for a few months and, uh, encouraged everyone to build, you know, wild broken characters, you know? And so it, and it went both ways as far as from the DM perspective, you know, all bets were off, forget about balance. He was going to throw the, you know, throw the book at us, you know? And so we were allowed to kind of build these wildly, you know, broken, I say broken, but, you know, I don't know how much of it was actually intended by 4E to, to, to really utilize, you know, these kind of combos and everything. It had to have been there to some extent, but maybe they didn't, they didn't want it to, to be as broken as it could be. But at any rate, uh, we were encouraged to make these wildly overpowered characters. It wasn't going to be table-breaking. So we had, you know, characters that had this permanent invisibility thing going on where they can just kind of create some shadows and immediately hide after everything they do. And, uh, there are all these little mechanical exceptions and, and weird things that could be done. Um, um, and I, the character I made was called Mr. Critical. <laughs> so you can already tell, I can already tell this is to a lot of people that, that they just hate this idea. And this was not about role play or anything like that. So this was just a weird thing that we did that stuck in my mind. Cause it was a lot of fun because it was really just an exercise more so than just the regular kind of campaign you would play. But you know, people talk about advantage and disadvantage and they love that and everything with 5e. Well, there was a whole fourth edition class that was based on the idea of advantage it's called the Avenger and the Avenger could roll 2d20 on any attack and pick the highest. So they had permanent advantage was the whole shtick of the class. And there was also the Ranger in fourth edition had a, a power called twin strike. That was basically whenever it attacked, it was a way to build on old ranger two-handed, you know, two-weapon fighting and kind of build it in the class. So the ranger was allowed to make, basically through use of the ability, they could make two attacks, you know, at will. Um, it's called twin strike. They could do it with a bow or do it with uh, two melee weapons. And there's a way, I know this is getting kind of probably boring to some people, but there's a way, you know, the way 4th edition was was balanced out it was 30 levels and the first 10 were heroic second 10 were paragon third 10 were epic 
And so it was a way to kind of categorize what level you're at. And, um, you know, the complexity certainly matched along with it. But by the time you get to Paragon, there were certain character options you could have taken or choices you could have made where you could be able to utilize two classes together in different ways that were maybe not foreseen or intended. So the character I built, Mr. Critical, was would have been useless throughout the entire heroic tier. But once it got to Paragon, it was able to use this double attack twin strike thing along with the uh, Avengers uh, like advantage ability. So in essence, you're rolling, you know, four times on even your most basic attack. So it's basically a crit fish build. It's trying to make roll critical hits. And there were all these other little minor attack abilities you got it on too. To where, you know, the whole shtick of it was just to, you know, trying to roll criticals. And it also had an expanded crit range. I think I had something that allowed it to be 17 to 20, certainly 18 to 20 for a crit. So it was just a fun campaign where, like I say, the DM wasn't pulling any punches. The DM was throwing everything at us. And we were really just trying to just, you know, we we're completely playing the game, not as designed, completely broken, but it was a lot of fun and everybody had fun, you know, trying to, to outdo the DM. And it, like I say, it was playing the game in a completely different way. So that's why it stands in my memory as something that was fun. And I have to admit it was great fun where every role had that chance of being a, a critical. It was, um, it was a lot of fun as far as a combat sense. And we were mainly just playing in combat. So like I say, a lot of y'all might be like, who stole froth? Where's froth? But this was just a one-time sort of thing that stood out in my mind as a lot of fun. You know, breaking for you with some guys for the fun of it. Playing a uh, completely, um, you know, broken character named Mr. Critical. <laughs> Something that at number three. Number two. This is a recent character. I've been playing... Um, like this is like I mentioned, I, a lot of the time when I get to play, it's, it's a one shot, you know? And, um, so I end up playing some, I try to get into some adventures league games. I've probably only gotten to play like three of them though. Cause they, they fill up really fast. They're hard to, it's hard to find online sometimes, but I've played quite a bit of Pathfinder society and, uh, lately been playing, I've gotten into just a couple games of uh, Starfinder society. And, um, Starfinder is of course like Pathfinder in space. It's got some rules tweaks and everything, and it's pretty cool. Um, it's certainly not rules light or anything like that, but I'm not hating on it. I've got the core book, uh, DM screen. I want to collect a few other things. Uh, they, they're mercifully coming out with a slower progression of books for Starfinder than they did with, uh, with Pathfinder. So if you're not trying to buy the adventure paths and, um, organized play stuff, and just sticking with the core books, you can actually kind of keep up with Starfinder, which I, pre I appreciate, like I said. Anyway, the character I made for Starfinder is an android named Viger. Or, uh, and uh, uh, the, the idea with Viger is being uh, from from uh, the original Star Trek movie, you know, where, spoiler alert, it was, you know, the Voyager 1 probe the whole time when they were trying to figure out what Viger was. And, uh, I mean, that's been out for 40 years or something, so hopefully it didn't spoil anything. But what's weird is no one, I've, the name, the Android's name is Viger, but, uh, um, no one I've played with has had any idea what that is. So it shows different generations. None of them have, have seen that original Star Trek or it just didn't pop in their mind. But I kind of ignored the whole way that Starfinder does the flavor of androids and just played this, you know, my idea was it was this android that was hired on to, or created to be a pilot and, and, um, and everything for someone. Um, but it, something, something in its programming was not quite right. And so it, it became really interested in like mystical arts and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, ancient religions and prophecies and weird stuff like that. So it just has like glitch in the system. And so it was basically discarded by the owner, uh, but through, you know, convoluted sort of backstory, it was able to, um, escape and, uh, and, and become like an adventurer. And the way I play it, I, I took several points of inspiration. Um, uh, there's a show called dark matter, the sci-fi show. That's pretty good. It's not great, but it's got an Android that like runs the ship in, in that show. And 
I didn't steal anything other than kind of just like the tone of voice. Uh, it's the Android is kind of not human. Just talks like this. I am an Android, you know, really kind of almost uh, flat effect uh, sort of thing without emotion. So I, I take that, but then I also really like fish out of water or uh, socially awkward characters. And so the Android is, you know, been isolated as just like a pilot and hadn't really been exposed to other characters and cultures and stuff other than maybe reading about them. So, uh, she'll try to fit in, but can't, you know, and, and so she'll often like imitate people or say the wrong thing at the wrong time or misunderstand, um, uh, a social norm and stuff like that. So every time I've gotten to, to play that character has been just a ton of fun because I'm not thinking about their abilities. I'm not thinking about the game and how it works and everything. My whole motivation the whole time is to just be this completely awkward Android that's going to say the wrong thing at the wrong time. And, and I, I think for me, that's what I really like is when I have a character concept that is not, not the mechanics and it's not the, um, I don't know when I have something I can really latch onto as far as the role playing goes, that is, makes me love, love it. And that's really hard for me because like I say, I don't get to play in long-term campaigns or if sometimes if I do and I've picked, you know, rolled up a class and I don't, you know, I even end up not liking my own character. It really sucks. Um, but this is one that I love that I can, uh, um, even though Starfinder is not the greatest system in the world, even though it's really kind of crunchy, even though I know I'm going to be playing, uh, in the Starfinder um, games with, with some min maxer types and, 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 and all that. Um, I can always just have fun by playing this, you know, Android that, uh, and it gets a lot of laughs. It seems like too. So that's, that's one that I really like this. Like I say, I haven't played her very many times. Uh, it's a more recent thing. It's not like some iconic thing out of my childhood or anything, but, uh, I really like Viger, uh, the, uh, the Android for uh, Starfinder. And my number one, this was one I've mentioned several times, but this one is just emblazoned in my mind, particularly the character creation more so than playing him. But um, going back to Marvel superheroes uh, and going back to really wanting to create your own character as opposed to play something else, uh, Top Hat. And this uh, kind of talks about James Bond uh, that I mentioned earlier too, because uh, when I made this, it certainly had a James Bond influence. I really wanted someone with, with, with gimmicks. I love the whole going to Q and getting the, all the cool gadgets. And, and that was, that was always one of my favorite parts of the old Bond movies. Um, and so the top hat is a character that I made that had sort of the Goldfinger odd job inspired hat that could be used, uh, as a weapon, you know, could throw the hat um, I don't know if you, if you love Bond, you know what I'm talking about. When Oddjob throws that hat and it takes the head off the statue, it's just a, a classic. So it has a hat also had like a cane that, um, you know, could pop the top off the cane and be used as a, as a weapon or grappling hook and stuff. And, uh, I just remember sitting in my friend's room. Uh, we call it the lounge cause it had this, uh, baby blue paint on the wall. And it's almost like you couldn't be in that room for too long without getting tired. And, you know, we'd all be done skateboarding or something and go up to the lounge and everybody just take a nap laying all over the place. And, um, but up in the lounge rolling characters and, and design our own superheroes. And I, I wish I still had that character sheet, but top hat was, you know, basically, like I said, a tuxedo top hat and a cane, um, just, a you know, gadget based human superhero, not a mutant or altered human or anything like that. But, uh, when I think about it, when I really think about my favorite characters of all time, even though I, my memories of actually really playing top hat that much are fuzzy to nil. What I really remember is creating it and drawing it and, um, designing it. And, um, so that's my favorite going back to the old days. That's the one that really stands out. Um, 
and it's certainly cheesy, but I can actually, I can see it in like a eighties, um, superhero cartoon or comic book, like Spider-Man having to just one, one comic book, having to fight this top hat, you know, maybe he's like a, um, diplomat or something that got screwed over and, or, um, a museum owner or art collector that wants to steal a famous painting or something like that. You know what I mean? So anyway, Jay Shields, thank you so much for the suggestion. Uh, like I say, I don't have the breadth of characters and exp I've got a lot of experience running games, but not as much playing it's just the way it is, uh, the way things have been for me. But, um, when I think back, those are my top three. All right, so I went a little longer than I probably wanted to today, but you know, it takes you want to answer stuff naturally, and I, I like to talk, I like to podcast. So, what can I tell you? I hope you enjoyed it. Really want to thank all the folks that called in uh, Ray Otis, Tim Shorts, Jeff Collier, Arfed, um, Goblin's Henchman, J.E. Shields. Y'all made the show so much better. So, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I, I think I'm pretty much caught up now on, um, listener suggestions. So don't be shy. If you want to, got a top three idea for me, use the anchor voice message system and give me a call or email me frothsoft frothsof at gmail.com. Or you can use the, um, contact form on the thought eater blog, frothsoft frothsof dnd.blogspot.com. Seriously. Uh, if you've got something you want to hear me ramble about, uh, top three, uh, please send it in and I'll get to it. So, uh, yeah. So next you'll hear from me is the hump day bloggerama. Looks like it's going to be another good show. I'm starting to get the pieces put together for it, lay it out and everything and kind of decide how I want to approach it. That's always the first, first step is always collecting, following, reading, throwing it all together into a big pile. Second step with the hump day is kind of categorizing it and approaching it and kind of thinking about what I want to do for the last topic, thinking about what, ha what can stay and what unfortunately needs to get cut just for, for time. And then the third step is just, uh, going for it. But anyway, that'll be the next thing you hear from me. Like I said, you can email me frostoff at Gmail, check out the blog frostoffdnd.blogspot.com. Send in some, uh, top three suggestions. Huge thanks to folks backing me on Patreon. I really appreciate y'all. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash thought eater. It's only a dollar a month. And uh, Logan, let's do it. Sickly platypus, a psychic grenade. Zeroing in on your mental trade. Gonna help you escape from the grind. Thought eater gonna blow your mind. Boom, 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 boom,